Firefighting is essential for our communities, but it's not easy. With increased heat loads and toxic substances, the job today is more dangerous than ever. At MSA, your health and safety drive us to develop highly advanced safety equipment to protect you on the job. MSA's Globe Gear is performance and protection in perfect balance. It's designed to meet the challenges you face every day to help keep you safe and healthy during your career and beyond. Get the full story at msafire.com globe. Hello and welcome to Today on Firehouse. I'm Peter Matthews, editor of Firehouse Magazine, and thank you for joining us. Um, I would also like to thank Globe and MSA for their sponsorship of this podcast uh, for the last couple of months. We really appreciate their continued support, uh, bringing education to firefighters uh, through the Firehouse podcast. Uh, today we have Frank Becerra, a Fort Worth firefighter, on uh, the podcast as part of the uh, 2020 Firefighter Standdown Week. Uh, this year's program is based on uh, the theme of building a superhighway to safety, protecting our responders on roadways. Um, Frank uh, has a really um, uh, interesting story to share about when he was struck uh, by a vehicle uh, along with his long road to recovery uh, to being back on the job now for a total of 34 years and, and one of the busiest companies in the city. So, Frank, thanks for joining us. And can you tell us a little bit about your fire service career um, uh, through Fort Worth and some of the other uh, projects that you're involved with? Yeah, I've been with Fort Worth for 34 years, like Pete said, and uh, been at the same station uh, since about 1992 to present. Um, got 34 years. Um, work at a community college as a part-time faculty adjunct and do a lot of uh, helping part-time at our fire department training center as a faculty also with the recruit classes. Okay, thanks. And, and so for those of you who attend Firehouse Expo uh, and Fire, Firehouse World Hot programs, you might see Frank. Frank help us, helps us out on the grounds of the training grounds for uh, the different logistics for, for the Firehouse program. So uh, Frank, so let's let's kind of dive into your story when you were struck by a vehicle. Um, can you tell us about the incident, uh, what you guys were dispatched to, what was going on, and then uh, kind of share your story with us? Yeah, you know, um, it happened February 13 of 2003. Uh, we're responding to a uh, MVA on 287, Highway 287, just coming out of downtown Fort Worth on the southeast side of Fort Worth. Um, pretty dangerous curve there where we were at. Uh, basically, we had an unknown location on where the MVA was. Finally got to it. Um, again, you know, had a blocker, but it really, the blocking hadn't really started. They were just kind of there slowing traffic down on the shoulder. Um, we were off on the shoulder on the, on the access road coming onto the freeway. So, like I said, we parked, blocked, no injuries just sitting there waiting for PD to come block the ramp because that was our big issue right there was the ramp, not so much the freeway. And then when sitting there waiting, we went set out flares and still no ramp blocked. Uh, nobody's fault, really. Uh, we just started setting out flares and then car came whizzing over the top of the hill down and you don't really see the freeway till you're at the top of the hill, saw the fire truck kind of wet and rainy that morning and uh hit the brakes kind of swerved around and then hit me um as we tried to start to scatter uh and it was like you know the guy said it was like I just I knew I was going to get hit and just paired myself and then 
he hit me and then he hit the center concrete barrier and then he took off so that's another story on its own but uh so anyway um pretty much knocked one of my bunker boots on the northbound uh, highway on the inside uh service road part so pretty much pretty yeah knocked me off knocked me out of my boots so they say so. yeah and multiple injuries uh things like that skull fracture over eye fracture ankle fracture pelvic fracture you know never really spent a day in the hospital but that was you know the start of long road to recovery so to speak is what they were saying okay so so at the incident um was it was it just two seconds before you realized it was going to happen and I mean, you said you kind of prepared for it but what, what do you do in just a short period of time I mean what, what kind of went through your mind at that point you know it, it's really hard to say uh, I don't remember a whole lot after that you know pretty much the whole month of February was kind of just was gone mm-hmm. um, the doctor described it just like an old camera where you had film and you had pictures, and all of a sudden you open up the back of the camera, you just lost all that. So basically that's all I lost. I remember going to going to work that morning, and uh, and pretty much that was the end of the day. Okay. But the guys said, one of the guys hollered, here comes a car, look out. And we all kind of scattered, and then they uh, turned back to look, and then they just saw me stop, and basically – the doctor jokingly later called it that I was just doing a Heisman move <laughs> where I just put one leg up and put my hand down and pushed myself over the hood of the car mm-hmm. and struck me and went over the top. And then they said I did a one and a half. The guys did. I did a one and a half but didn't stick the landing. I stuck it like a yard dart. I make fun of it now, but I was like describing myself like a yard dart. I went up and came down head first. Wow. Wow. Um, so the, the, the injuries were significant. Um, you can share that there. So, um, tell us about the, 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 time that you were in a hospital and what the recovery was and, and your initial prognosis was, were you, were you going to be able to return to work at that point or what were they telling you? Well, the initial deal, um, the doctor, uh, pretty much told me after, you know, I kind of got out of the hospital that, you know, it could possibly be. Two, two and a half years that I could come back to work, but he probably was preparing me that I would never, probably ever get back on a fire truck again, you know, just for the injuries that I had and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, like I like, you know, you said, I uh, got hit on that day, went to the hospital, was in the ER, you know, and a lot of this is people telling me, family telling me that, you know, they didn't know either way what was going to happen there for, I probably guess, first four or five hours I didn't know if I was in or making it or not making it you know back and forth back and forth and uh so uh again in the hospital I was in the hospital about three weeks uh with all the injuries and everything like that surgeries plates pins things like that and then um got out were able to well I asked the doctor when I could leave the hospital he said not till I can get a hospital bed. If I get a hospital bed at my home, then he, they'd let me leave. So that was another deal that, that we were able to get a hospital bed, so I got home early. Okay. 
And what, what kind of treatments did you go through? I mean, you mentioned surgeries. Uh, so that was, uh, it sounds like a laundry list. Tell us yeah, about some I, of that. Pretty much um, the skull fracture, they didn't mess with. The orbital eye fracture, they kind of put the fracture back in place. Didn't have to put anything up in my eye, but fixed it. Uh, and the ankle, which was really their big concern the whole time I was going through rehab and everything, not so much the pelvis, but I fractured it pretty good, had uh, three pins, um, again, rejected two pins pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. One before I even left the hospital was already starting to work its way out, so they had to wow. pull it. Second pin came out a month later, so I got one pin left in my ankle, which has been there since '03. So uh, the, the um, pelvis, they pretty much plated it all the way across uh, and then uh, so it's it's there forever uh, rehab started rehab sh- right about a month after I got released they were coming home were coming to my house and doing my rehab for me at home okay. and uh, that was like I said it was pretty lengthy the whole mm-hmm. process was pretty much rehab almost yeah every day from till the day I came back to work and so that that's how long then? How long was it before you were back? To the you know, like I said earlier, you know, they told me two to two and a half, you know, from two to two and a half years. Uh, I was actually back to work full duty in 11 months, full recovery. Incredible. Wow. So, and you were right back in the fire truck at yeah, that point? Yeah, I went right back to the station, same place I was at. Okay. Um, the doctor, rehab doctor, uh, trauma doctor were very, or ortho doctor were very surprised how I recovered so fast. Mm-hmm. So... Um, the rehab doctor, she said that a lot of that was uh, the type of shape I was in, you know, sure. physical condition I was in. Um, so that really made the recovery, and for even me to survive those kind of injuries were uh, were just because of the physical shape I was in. Were you a regular uh, workout uh, Yeah, ran, workout? ran a lot, and you know, and worked out. You know, there's several of us at the station that – even now that, you know, everybody works out and things like that. So we work out together, run together. So, yeah, it was – that that was a big deal. That was mm-hmm. really what hit me uh, when the rehab doctor told me that that was one of the reasons why I survived was because of that, and then the recovery was so good. And the ortho doctor, same thing. You know, uh, we kind of became friends right after that, you know, seeing him all the time. So, mm-hmm. you know, I told him – when his last visit I had with him, I said, hey, thanks for putting me all together and everything. He goes, you don't owe me any thanks. He said, you owe the man upstairs. Yeah. Because, and this is, again, one of those moments that hits you that he goes, you shouldn't be here right now. Wow. So. So so when they told you that there's a good chance that, you know, it'll be at least two to three years before you go back to work, if you go back to work at all, um, you're the, the kind of firefighter that I think a lot of people aspire to be, um, working in a busy place for a long time. And. And it was 17 years ago, but um, how did that hit you? How did that news hit you, and, and how did you take that? You know, I, I told them that that wasn't happening. You know, I just said, uh, you're, you're crazy because, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm coming back to work. I'm going to come back to the station, and I'll be back to normal. And he says, you just need to prepare for the worst. And I says, well, that ain't happening. You know, of course, my wife says, yeah, you don't know him very well. So it was kind of. You know, there for a little bit, you know, I had a little doubt mm-hmm. in my mind. And I said, okay, maybe I'm not coming back. 
just because of what my wife, you know, she had to help me get out of bed and, mm-hmm. you know, this and that, pick my feet up, put them on the ground. And so it was one of those that were thinking maybe I'm not coming back. But then I said, no, that ain't happening. So, but yeah, like I said, it was just, it was really, you know, uh, by the grace of God, really, that I um, mm-hmm. was able to come back to work. Okay. And can you share some of the rehab? I mean, it, it, it's it's months of rehab and, and what you had to go through. And I guess what was the toughest part? I mean, if you, if you had to have, um, you know, one thing that you had to do on a daily basis that really got to you, you, you know, the, the, the trying to start from scratch to get your body back and going, uh, what was the hardest thing that you had to go through on a daily basis? The toughest thing that started out was where they told me they were going to have to teach me how to walk again. And of course, I told them, I said, y'all are crazy. I know how to walk. And nope, they weren't kidding. I couldn't even lift my legs off the, the mat. You know? Really? Okay. And uh, things like that. You know, I was in a wheelchair for almost four months. So basically, we're, they basically taught me how to walk again and things like that. The first round was that way. Uh, went through a second round. Um kind of built the strength up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then the third round is when I went to the rehab doctor where they really focused on kind of what we do at work and kind of geared my rehab to that kind of strength and conditioning type stuff. So so when you were pretty much at the point where you knew you weren't able to walk, I mean, what, what's going through your mind? Is it is it a uh, disappointment? Is it a struggle? Is it anger? It, is it, it, it was a struggle because, you know, the things that we take for granted that people in wheelchairs see every day, it became a reality for me. Just going through the store, you know, going shopping with, you know, the family, couldn't get to some parts of the store because the racks were too close together. Mm-hmm. And so it, it is a challenge, you know, that was the big challenge and it kind of really opened my eyes to what uh, people in wheelchairs have to deal with. It's not easy, yeah. you know, cause we're not, even today, society still not geared for that type of folks getting around. Mm-hmm. So that was a big, a big deal to me. Uh, learning that process of okay. getting in and out of the chair and and really having people to help me because even my wife went back to work. You know, there were guys that would come by and I called it babysitting. Uh, they'd come by and stay with me until she got home from work. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, sit with me and things like that because I couldn't really leave the house at that point early on yeah so uh, that was the big thing that the brotherhood that the guys brought you know I had guys you know mowing my grass and cleaning my windows and and, I mean just guys that just came out of the woodwork to help that Mm. was really amazing Um, and uh, it was you know something I'll never forget and that's the thing that a lot of guys take for granted now is that brotherhood and i mean it was there for me yeah you know i just hope it continues in the in the future with Mm -hmm. the next generation that they they talk it you know they take that and go with it i tell the guys every recruit class that i deal with at the community college and in our fire department i tell them that all the time yeah that's when you know your true friends come out Mm. and like i said there was i mean it was just it was just crazy yeah, I couldn't believe it. Well, it's, I, I think that's one thing that's that, in some places, has certainly already been forgotten. But but when you have to step up and take care of folks, it's it's 
it's your family, it's your extended family, the fire service family. And, you know, even my brother was sick with cancer. Um, he had been out of the fire department for a couple of years. He was a police medic. Um, but fire departments were there, you know, they, they were providing food uh, just because it was part of that public safety group, right? And um, it was really impressive to see, and that, that really does kind of help carry you through um, those types of situations. And I don't think people really realize that you just have to step up and do it, um, you know, even if you don't really know the person. Uh, it's kind of critical, and this, this is a big job. I mean, Fort Worth's a big city. There's a lot of guys and gals on the job, um, so it's good to hear that they were there for that. Um, support and then uh, did you guys did you have guys visiting from the hospital or when you were in the hospital and that kind of stuff too? oh yeah. yeah yeah it yeah. was you know typical fireman you know once they knew everything was gonna be good and I was gonna be all right and it's the fireman here come the jokes yeah you know so yeah. you know guys wanted to do a t-shirt uh, put tire tracks on the back and on the front says we went this way, he went that way, which, you know, <laughs> I said, you guys go ahead, keep it up. I, I said, I'm coming back, so I'm going to have a whole year or so of thinking of how I'm going to pay you guys back. So, yeah, you know, just typical stuff, yeah. you know, firemen come by and making me laugh when they're not supposed to. And, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, it was just – it was a big, big show for them. So Okay. But it That's was, good. It was good times. Yeah. So you get back to the, you know, a couple months before you're getting back to work and you're you're – your, your body's, I guess, functioning, for lack of better terms <laughs> at that point. You're back to where you were. Um, what was kind of the light at the end of the tunnel when you knew you'd be back at the station? What, what were those last couple of weeks of, of getting ready? And I'm sure at home had to change too, right? You've been home for a while, and, and, and Shannon and, and, and the family there, they were kind of accustomed to – so you being around and, and you being a, a burden on them, but uh, more like the cook because they knew <laughs> dinner was going to be ready every day. So yeah. So so what were those last couple of weeks like? Um, did you have did you have an adjustment period and then mentally for you to prepare to go back to the station? Uh, tell us about that time. Yeah, you know it really started a couple months prior uh, with that rehab rehab doctor because they had me you know doing exercises and stuff early on that really weren't geared for me to a certain extent mm -hmm. that I felt like they were holding me back. So, um, and it was a program. I wasn't the only one that was doing it. It was like a group type mm -hmm. rehab. And I finally convinced them to, to uh, develop me my own workout, okay. which caused some issues with the rest of the group because I wasn't part of the group. And we had to meet with a uh, psychologist once a week and, and, on an individual and then as a group and and the thing that I learned from that is that uh, firemen were really geared mentally different than everyone else okay. you know and that's what the psychologist finally figured out when the first time I met him I kind of the fireman way we just kind of joke kind of break break the ice and oh he wasn't in no joking matter so we had to be serious but uh when they started preparing me mentally with the rehab and kind of talking about, you know, flashbacks and, you know, mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. So, you know, uh, it just, it was kind of weird, you know, thinking like, well, you know, they're having to get me ready to come back to work that I've been doing it for that so many years prior. And, yeah. you know, it was, it was, it was an adjustment okay. and it was kind of, you know, I'm not going to say, you know, I was scared. I was just, it was just back in the mind. Am I going to be able to still do what I was doing? Yeah. So, but yeah, first day back was, was kind of a, like we call down here, dog and pony show where 
everybody showed up. Media was there, you know, and so it was it was a big show. Uh, but first call that I made that day, I came back was an MVA in the exact same location. Really, in the same. I mean, everything, the scenario was the same all over again. Uh, and my lieutenant at that time told me, uh, he goes, hey, you just stay here. We'll get this one without you. <laughs> I said, no, I'm going. Yeah. So, yeah, it was it was kind of kind of weird, that. Mm-hmm. And then that same day, we'd, we'd made a fire, and it was – I could tell that the rust was was there for just, you know, even just after 11 months. It, mm-hmm. was, it was a little rusty. Okay. getting back gear and i had to go back through some training and things like that so i oh, could you did okay. yeah i had to catch up on some training so i had to do the the scba maze and do some other stuff and go get my our annual physical to clear me to come back and things like that so yeah it was it was a good process yeah okay and luckily the fire department allowed me uh the time to really rehab and, and get myself back there was never no question about what i was doing never got the phone calls from hey what are you doing today or hey this i mean yeah. they they pretty much left me alone and allowed me to to take care of business and and uh get back to work that's good um i guess your reputation uh, didn't really uh, matter at that point they just wanted to make sure you're okay yeah <laughs> <laughs> So, so that first call, and you, you just mentioned a moment ago the flashbacks when you guys pulled up for that wreck on your first day. Uh, was it on your mind, or were you trying to focus, or were you, was was there a lot of uh, laughing in a cab to try and uh, kind no, of offset the? I don't think there was much laughing. I think okay. there's. I think it was in the back of those guys' minds because they were, you know, same guys were still there. Uh, shortly after all that, they all kind of left, and mm-hmm. you know, but I don't know if it was that reason or it was just it was just for them time to go but um there was really no laughing or anything like that it was just business as usual got there I didn't really think about it honestly you know and one thing like I said earlier that the doctor described it like opening the old-fashioned camera and you kind of just you know destroyed all the pictures that you had taken prior so pretty much that's what happened to me. So mm-hmm. I didn't really remember that, you know, the details of, yeah, of the, the details the, uh, of getting hit and stuff, getting hit and stuff. So yeah. that was the advantage I had compared to the, the guys that I was still working with that, that, that was still in their in mind. mind. Yeah. Okay. So you, you get back to work, um, you, you go through the retraining and stuff like that. At that point, was it, was it back to normal or I guess, when would you say, you know, you were back to normal? How long was it before, uh, things just kind of set in with, with the rust kind of being knocked yeah, off it, uh, it the took, shelf. Yeah, it took, it took a little bit. It didn't take that long. You know, we were fairly busy back then, still making pretty decent amount of fires. And uh, so it really, you know, it, it came back quick. Yeah. Okay. You know, it came back pretty quick. It was just, you know, I didn't I didn't have the, the memory to even really slow it down, just the rust of not, you know, putting, in your, putting on your bunker gear, SCBA and things like that. That was – the rust part didn't have nothing you know just the time off is what yeah know, what caused that okay so you mentioned that the it was a hit and run um can you tell us about what happened uh, yeah it was it was kind of a, a crazy uh, type trial type deal um you know he 
you know, the guy that hit me actually was from the neighborhood, uh, but had moved away, came back, you know, not, not to discuss any of his prior past, but he did have a past. Uh, so at that point, you know, from that point forward, I became like a crime victim, you know, and that's another thing that opened my eyes up to mm-hmm. uh, what happens to people of crime. They get, you know, crime committed against them and stuff like that. So it is, you know, you get an advocate. I had an advocate call me and talk to me, like let me know, hey, this is the process. This is what's going to happen. Okay. Things like that. So I uh, grew up in the neighborhood, uh, police officer there uh, in the neighborhood, kind of made it his goal a couple other guys to find this guy Mm -hmm. so first off they figured out where his family lived went there and they pretty much told him where he was at where they could find him so they finally they found him it may have been four or five hours six hours later okay they found him that same day wow so it was a trial after a couple mistrials um and then they finally they finally did a plea and then he got five years uh, the first round, uh, the DA really was trying to uh, make this a big case, which really it was just, you know, basically hit and run. He mm-hmm. wasn't intending try to use try to trying to use that vehicle as a weapon to hit one of us. It it was just an accident, it really mm-hmm. was. Until he hit and then left, then it became a crime. But uh, she was trying to really make it bigger than what it was, okay. and it really wouldn't. You know, and then finally it went to trial. He got five years. Uh, he had done another crime in another state. And uh, supposedly they said he went back to go finish out the time in that other state he was at. So, wow. Okay. So, yeah, it was, it was, it was kind of crazy. And I was kind of upset because I never did get to make eye contact. They wouldn't let me in the courtroom. Really? Yeah. yeah. So, why is uh, that? I have no idea. They just told me to wait everybody else got to sit in the courtroom but me and you know i said well heck you know that's not that's not right you know so there was a lot of things that that i learned about crime victims that you know really crime victims don't really have a whole lot of rights Mm -hmm. the criminals that commit the crime against that person have more rights than the victim does so i don't mean to open up another can of worms but yeah you know i mean it you know at least i can say that since i was one of those victims Mm -hmm. you know i don't feel like i really was but you know, because I feel like it was really just an accident, truly. It was until until he left. Yeah, and then, well, yeah, you know. Yeah, split-second decision, <laughs> and, and that was it. So, so uh, Fort Worth, I've lived here about five years now. Uh, and growing up in New York, uh, I thought the New York roads were bad. Uh, the Fort Worth roads are just ridiculously crazy. Uh, eight lanes wide in some spots, even wider with turn lanes and, and you know, entrances and exit ramps and clover loop clover leaf loops and and if you look at uh when you're driving and you have the uh, gps up on your car dashboard it's very confusing there's so many different things going on so um so tell us about you know what goes on now um when you go on calls uh, i guess it was just about a year ago your engine was struck yep uh just as you guys were pulling up so um unfortunately it's not something that you can uh, escape you're you're dealing with wrecks on almost a daily basis oh, it sounds yeah. like so uh so what are you doing with your crews are you sharing this uh you know it's been 17 years so 16 years since you've been back to work um what do you do with the uh, the, the firefighters and your crew to make sure that they know uh about the realities of roadways for well you know I, I think the guys really 
really know about it, but I think a lot of times I don't I don't say a whole lot about it unless someone asks me mm-hmm. because I feel like you know guys think it's it's an old story mm-hmm. beat down, but we've had one uh, female firefighter just hit you know I don't know six months ago maybe it was New, uh, New Year's Eve I think. Yeah. yeah okay yeah I think it was so yeah. I mean it, it happens more than than what we that when you know what we know across. Mm-hmm. The whole United States, not just us, police officers and and the ambulance crews. Um, so, it, I think that's the most dangerous part of our job now. Not so much the fires as it is the the freeways, and even on the on the on the re- residential streets. We had a guy get hit several years back. You know, on a residential street car going about twenty twenty five miles an hour. You would think that a hit like that would not be that. That kind of a deal, but that guy's still suffering from some of that from a, really? from a smaller mile per hour hit. So yeah. it's it's all over the place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's you can't just say the freeways, but like you said, the way the freeways are, it's people going eighty miles, and because they're trying to get to where they need to be in a hurry, and then typical firemen, you know, we always mess stuff up, so we're blocking roads and shutting down lanes. But you know, we're doing it for our protection. Uh, one thing that that I really wish we would do more of is, I mean, we block a lot, but a lot of times we cut guys loose way too early. I think, in my opinion, that's my opinion again, uh, I think we cut guys way too loose, mm-hmm. way too early, you know. Um, so what is the ideal time to, well, to start I mean, breaking that till, down? I mean, till really, the, to me, when the scene clears, okay. when, when it's time to go. Mm-hmm. You know, unless uh, the police officers have it shut down to one lane, where they really physically have to slow down, yeah, they have no choice. Then, um, you know, I think it's good to let the blocker go. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I mean, the way these freeways and they, you know, the way they have turns and curves and dips and valleys and things like that, and you know, you can't. We got to be smart on how we're positioning the blocker too. That's a, that's a big thing too. Yeah. But I, in my understanding, I don't think all states. Uh, are doing the same highway traffic incident management deal that we're doing in Texas. I don't, I don't know hundred percent. I know that I've gone to other departments to talk about this and different things like that. But, but like I said, as far as talking to the crew, I think the guys know mm-hmm. being that it's, you know, it's happened it's, at our station. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when you talk to other departments, I mean, what, what advice are you giving them or what, you know, and I'm sure it's, subconscious for you at this point it's been a while but what's going through your mind when you get off the rig are you are you getting off on the uh, non-traffic side uh you know uh as far as you know positioning the rig and i know you know we work with the emergency responder safety institute uh jack sullivan is one of their educators and, and he's done a lot of work for us over the years um but what what kind of things are going through your mind um when you're getting off a rig now and, and now i mean you know Jack bring, brings out a good point with its training is it used to be the three D's of driving and now it's, oh, yeah. or the, now it's five. Um, you know, the, you, the simple thing of a phone, right? Or, or even like I was saying earlier, you've got that map on your dashboard and you're looking at that. You take your, road, your eyes off the road for a second. So um, wh- what do you kind of focus on at that point? Um, and again, what do you tell folks from other departments who may not be, you know, they might be running freeways or regular, you know, old, Main highways that yeah. may not be limited access highways, but what are you sharing with them? I tell them that, uh, you know, we really 
no matter what road you're on, you need to be careful. Mm -hmm. You need to pay attention before you get out of the trucks or out of the rigs. Um, just make sure that, that you know what's going on. Make sure the traffic is kind of slowed down. Make sure that they, you know, are, uh, you know, the way they're going to block, that it's set. And then, you know, if you can, get on the other side. You know, I always tell guys, you know, don't take that shortcut cutting across in front of the truck or the engine because it's the shortest route to get to your side. Just walk the way around. Use that protection to help you because they can still clip the front even though, the, you know, when you're at that blocking angle. Yeah. You know, they can still take that front part of the bumper. Yeah. You know, that's kind of what that guy hit us here not too long ago, like you said. I mean, he didn't even hit a brake. I mean, he hit right there on the left side uh, firefighter's door. Right there. Mm -hmm. I mean, right by his door, you know. So, you know, it, I mean, it happened before he even got off. Luckily, he didn't get off any sooner. Luckily, the, the driver uh, saw that this guy wasn't slowing and wasn't moving over and told him to hold up, and then, bam, he hit us. So, mm -hmm. but it was it was good hit. I think they figured he was maybe going 70. And you guys were just pulling up. Yep, right? just pulling up. So two, three seconds yep, later, the just, door would have been yeah. open and different story. Yep, different story. And um, and like I said, nobody was hurt. Yeah. So. Good. good. Okay. Okay. Um, before we wrap up, I, you know, I think I want to kind of ask you about it. it. It's it's a little different than the topic that we're on, but you know, you talked about uh, you know having an understanding of what folks are going through, uh, who are using wheelchairs, and then the, the victim of crime. So, you know, through your career, you've worked in a very busy area, uh, whether it's fires or, or, you know, EMS runs or acts of violence, that kind of stuff. Um, how does that carry over to your, you know, career and dealing with patients? I mean, you, you guys, you're busy, right? I mean, it's thousands of runs a year. And, and, and how does that carry over to when you're dealing with, with folks on the street? Uh, does that give you a, a different perspective of... of what they're going through and and you know if you're if you're doing a frequent flyer um is your level of compassion i guess a little bit higher at that point you know it's it's hard to say you know I, like i've been there so long a lot of times you know i get guys say, man why are you still there you know but that's the only place i've ever worked my whole career and that's all i know mm -hmm. is that station and yeah we get our frequent callers and a lot of times you know it's getting better somewhat to where they're trying to get them help from where mm -hmm. they're not calling, you know, abusing the system like they're doing. But um, I think it helps. I mean, like I said, I've been in the neighborhood for a long time, so a lot of people know me, you know, so it kind of, you know, kind of feel like home. Like when I was hurt, I mean, I got so many cards and letters uh, and even money from uh, people in the neighborhood. Really? You know, that I, you know, that were – yeah. you know, uh, sending stuff to me, churches and things like that. And, that's nice. You know, wow. we got a barbecue place that's down the street, you know, and the lady told one of the guys the other day was she was asking about me and, you know, asking about when I was going to retire and all that, and she wanted to be part of my retirement party really? when I left. So, I mean, that, that says a lot, Yeah. you know, about the neighborhood and, you know, and how long I've been there as far as, you know, people still – I've seen kids – now they're adults, mm -hmm. you know, and that's what's really funny. They'll come up to me, they go, hey, Frank, and I look at them, and they'll tell me their name. I'm like, oh, man, how you doing, you know, this and that. So it's kind of yeah. neat seeing some of the neighborhood kids grow up and come back and yeah. talk to you and stuff like that. So That's great. Yeah. That's wonderful. 
Okay. Um, any other advice you want to share before we kind of wrap up here today? No, I just, I tell guys just, man, that's the most dangerous part of our deal mm. is that, is that freeways and the highways and, you know, there's just out in general, you know, we just need to be careful. We need to sit there and make sure that we're blocking like we're supposed to and doing what we're supposed to, you know, I get the argument too sometimes about the PPE and, and, uh, stuff like that but that's on a whole different other subject but yeah you know whatever ppe you're required to wear by your department you know wear it you know mm-hmm. just wear it they tell you to like i tell the guys i i would i was going to get hit no matter what i could have been in a purple barney suit it was just my time to get hit yeah you know so you know i'm not going to argue ppe no ppe but you know whatever your department tells you to wear wear it mm-hmm. you know and, and think about it don't you know, look around, make sure that, you know, you got somebody watching your back at all times and things like that. Because we start getting focused on the call, some guys forget about, you know, what's coming behind us too. So we got to stay focused. A lot of stuff. Yeah, a lot of stuff. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, so again, this was part of the uh, 2020 Firefighter Stand Down. Um, We've got a couple links on the podcast page on firehouse.com for you to check out. Some related links from uh, articles from Jack Sullivan and a couple other programs. Um, also encourage you to visit safetystanddown.org. That's the official website for the Firefighter Standdown Week. And also don't forget to, re- to visit respondersafety.com. Uh, That's the home of the Emergency Responder Safety Institute, and they are uh, by far the leaders of um, information and statistics on incidents involving uh, firefighters, EMS workers, uh, law enforcement, as well as tow uh, drivers, uh, they really track all the incidents that occur on the roadways. So, so Frank, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate you taking the time to share your story, and, and uh, I hope that each of you uh, that's listening today um, takes his his advice to heart. And really, you have a better, a better understanding of why when you get off the rig, you, you do need to be extremely careful about what's going on. And I think, you know, the number of firefighters that are being struck and killed um, year after year. Fortunately, we're down this year. You know, this this is the stand down topic this year based on a, a just a horrific year on the roads last year the numbers are down but uh, still one of the worst places to be a firefighter is alongside a road right now so yep it is okay thank you frank no problem thanks pete firefighting is essential for our communities but it's not easy with increased heat loads and toxic substances the job today is more dangerous than ever at msa your health and safety drive us to develop highly advanced safety equipment to protect you on the job. MSA's Globe Gear is performance and protection in perfect balance. It's designed to meet the challenges you face every day to help keep you safe and healthy during your career and beyond. Get the full story at msafire.com globe.